Our quote of the day is by Hilma of Klint, whose wonderful pieces of artwork are currently on view at the Guggenheim Museum. The pictures were painted directly through me, without preliminary drawings and with great power. I had no idea what the pictures would depict, and still I worked quickly and surely without changing a single brushstroke. Ah, if only we could all have such confidence. <laughs> Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirschton. I'm a painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the artist Lauren Reiner. And let me just add before I forget that Lauren's website is Weeds and Wonder. Weedsandwonder.com announcements. I have um, been so very super busy <laughs> that uh, I skipped a month of, of uh, sharing the podcast with you. And um, But what do we have going on? So at my art studio where I teach classes, Studio Alchemy, um, we've got a lot of things coming up. Some of the things that I'm going to be teaching are a seven-week class called Painting with a Message. We're going to be doing intuitive painting, flower painting. That class is almost full. Um, I'm going to be doing an art camp, drawing uh, an illustration for teens in the summer. That is also almost full. Um, I've got a few of these uh, one-time abstract painting parties that are going to happen throughout the spring. And uh, then we've got some workshops that are going to be taught by other people. There's the Indianapolis Dream Circle with Teresa Vasquez. Um, we'll be meeting in our space every fourth Monday of the month from 7 to 9 p.m. That's exciting. Uh, and... Uh, Elise Rorick, who you heard on one of the previous podcasts, she's the one who came out with the Starlight Journal. She's going to be doing a Starlight Journal workshop on February 17th. Um, and then an all-day workshop on shamanic art journeying with the dream will be taught by Jessica Brucher, who is an art therapist. So we've got a lot going on at the studio. Uh, this Saturday, we'll have a, one of our second Saturdays parties and it's a opening where we have uh, a different theme each month and me and other artists share their work and uh, the theme this Saturday is going to be love and lust so it will be not for kids but uh, it promises to be a good time every second Saturday of the month we're open from one to four so if you're in the area I'd love for you to come and see us um, and then on a personal note I'm I might be moving to a new house but it's at that strange in-between stage where everything is up in the air and we'll just have to see how all <laughs> the pieces shake down and fall into place. Um, 
So uh, if I do move, then I will be super busy with that, even busier than I have been. <laughs> and if I don't, then um, maybe you'll get more podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> But at any rate, um, I'm excited to have you hear our interview with Lauren Reiner today. So without further ado, here is my interview with Lauren Reiner. Welcome, Lauren, to the show. Thank you, Addie. It's super fun to be here and talk with you today. Yes, I would agree. I'm excited. What is the story of how you, my dear, became an artist? Well, this, when I think about the story of how I became an artist or how I consider myself an artist now as an adult, it feels like this sort of winding adventure and choose your own adventure novel. (laughs) Um, I grew up in a very creative family my immediate family. My dad is, was, and still is a drummer uh, professionally. And my mom is now a hypnotherapist, but was a potter for about 15 years, 30 years, I don't know, a very long time. And did that professionally and traveled around for craft shows all over the place. And I used to spend a fair amount of time going with her to art fairs. So in Florida or even in the, the East Coast and around Indiana. And I would help her, you know, sit there and pack things up and whatever. And um, before that, as a younger child, I really did want to be a painter. I remember doing a painting project in my elementary school where it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I still have it, although the photograph is very badly damaged, but me in a beret and a turtleneck, I think I was thinking of being a Frenchman, (laughs) French woman at the time, French painter, um, with a paintbrush and a palette, and that was really what I envisioned for my life. Um, But yet what I was getting at home was a lot of, you know, the repetitive making of things and relying on that making for your living and all of the ups and downs of traveling that went along with it and a lot of people's unfiltered commentary (laughs) at art affairs and also and so I didn't like that perspective and I also my mom was coming from a place of um being a maker in I don't I can't really think of the right term right now, a craftsman maybe, or where you are, you are making similar or the same thing over and over again, right? You have a stock of the same thing. And my interest in an artist, in being an artist has always been processing an emotion, an idea, a feeling, um, an inspiration through visual means. And so to me, it was like torture to see this sort of, um, crafts fair type of scenario because I was like I can't repeat this you know anyway so I had these sort of conflicting ideas of um, what it meant to be an artist and um, I did go and study art I studied art all through school and considered myself a creative visual person in elementary school and middle school Um, I attended the key school and key renaissance and 
um, in Indianapolis, which is in uh, a school that was based on the seven intelligences, a theory by Howard Gardner. Okay. I feel like I'm spacing his name, but that that's it. <laughs> the schools aren't around anymore, but there are schools that are sort of adopt have adopted similar theories. So I grew up understanding my strengths and so-called weaknesses, things that I wasn't as fond of, and creative arts were always there. Um, in high school, I also did art. I went to Broderpool High School and had some great art teachers there that were really influential for me and helped me gain some confidence in that in my talents. Um, I went to IU, Indiana University in Bloomington, and did, did study studio art there. Um, I studied photography, and at that time in 1999, 2000, <laughs> to th 2003, digital photography was not at the forefront of my mind, nor really taught in school much. So um, I mainly studied black and white film photography and went through my college years sort of just getting the job done and started feeling um, rather, I want to use the word disillusioned or exhausted <laughs> by what it felt like to be an artist at the time and I decided that there was something else for me and I had been just dying 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 to get out of Indianapolis and travel I really wanted to go to Europe um, so I did end up going to Europe I went to Italy and ended up um, well, I ended up backpacking through Europe um, for a few months and then moved to Italy and ended up being there for about four years oh, wow. yeah <laughs> Um, and I was a student of Italian for a little while, and then I found my, you know, other, several other jobs, um, and really got to be fluent in the language. Um, I found myself sort of, um, I feel like I'm telling my life story, which is sort of, is like, my life story is my artist story, you know? Yeah. But <laughs> there was this sort of coming in and out of my, um... What is it? What would I say? This sort of coming in and out of my realization of who I am had a lot to do with pushing it away for so long. Pushing it away and like, I am not a creative, I'm a creative person. I'm not an artist. I do not want to make money. I always said over and over again, I do not want to make money with my art. I do not want to make money with my art. Um, and when I was in Italy, I decided I wanted to go to grad school. I ended up going to... Um, a, um, it's a program called, well, it's a school called Goddard College. It's in Vermont and it's a low residency program where I created my own curriculum and, um, met with advisors in person on campus once a semester and had goals based on their curriculum. Um, and through working with these advisors through, um, I got into dream psychology. I got into, Jungian theory, uh, theory. I got into um, energy work and healing work. I studied Reiki. I studied some other indigenous healing modalities from different cultures. Um, and when I started working with these fields, I started recording my dreams sort of naturally with words and with pictures. And this led me back full circle to needing to create because when I was drawing these pictures of my dreams, I felt 
fuller and wholer. Like this is how I speak when I when I was drawing these pictures. So so it became full circle. I then through this and that sort of realized that I really do need this. I cannot push this away. Whether or not I'm making money as an artist, that has no bearing on being an artist. They're two separate things. Being an artist is more of an identity. It's about the way that you view the world. Um, and it's about the way that you live your life. So that's how it happened. And then I started turning it into a profession once I realized it was something um, that not only did I want to express, but something that something I needed to focus on. It was part of the reason I was here on this, uh, this earth is to share that part of myself. So hopefully that wasn't too long. <laughs> There's a life story from Lauren Ryder. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think it's, it's wonderful that your life story is your artist story. And I certainly could see that for myself as well. There's a couple things that came up for me when you were telling and sharing your story. Um, one was the beret thing. <laughs> so I have this hilarious picture of me dressed as an artist in the third grade. Mm -hmm. And I had the beret. And I had little pantaloons <laughs> that were supposed to look, I don't know, European or French or something. And I had a little little palette and I had a mustache yeah. a curly cue yeah. mustache um which I think is hilarious and but also a little sad because the idea of a, an artist at that point was obviously somebody that I admired but they they needed to be French and male. they needed to be male <laughs> Yeah, but somehow young me was like, that's okay, I'll just draw the little mustache, it's okay. Um, right. Uh, and then that you were talking about craft and fine art and the making of things over and over and over again, and that just did not appeal to you, mm -hmm. which it doesn't appeal to me either. But other people love it. They love the repetition. You know, I'm thinking of my friends who who do uh, knitting and just like that over and over and I can't stand it. I'm like, give me some, give me something that I, my brain can chew at mm -hmm. and always be making something new. Um, and I can't have each piece be the same because I just want to be experimenting as I'm doing it mm -hmm. and exploring as I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I can, I can understand how it would be therapeutic or just, oh, it's relaxing to do the same thing over and over, but I, I just can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So... I could actually speak to oh, yeah? a little bit, too. Yeah, I, I think I do know how to knit, and I have learned to crochet. But it's interesting comparing the two, right? Creating one of your authentic pieces of art, one that you're getting to, like you said, you said, what was the word you used? sort of gnaw at or like chew on this yeah. piece right yeah. there's a lot to chew at and really think about and taste mm -hmm. and and I think it's almost the opposite with knitting in that it's not that you're not thinking it's a, it becomes a different type of meditation where your hands are sort of separate from your mind in a, in a certain way so I can sort of 
I do knit a little bit. Like I can get into knitting for like a couple days and then like three years later, I like finish my knitting project. <laughs> I in fact just did one. I think I did round two and I still have like a third round to go. But um, yeah, I think when it, for me too, when it comes down to making art, it's like instead of, whereas knitting, you're sort of at a void of choice or a lack of choice in art you are constantly making choices every stroke is a, of your paintbrush is a choice every color every all of it is a choice and sometimes you don't know why you're making that choice but you just are making that choice yeah. and your mind sort of wanders it comes back it goes around it changes the way you choose but it's that ac brain activity <laughs> yeah. whatever if they're theta waves if they're beta waves i don't know but there's something really beautiful about that space yeah yeah, yeah. interesting i quite agree yeah. um and and there have been moments where um sorry i can't like quote anybody on this just this off the top of my head but where craft has been seen as not worthy of being in art museums but that that's changed a lot and you know, now you'll go into art museum and there will be quilts there and there will be, you know, so, um, yeah, it's, it's not that we see ourselves as better than, it's just no. that it's a different process. It's using different parts of our brain or it's giving us something different. Um, all right. So next question, what inspires you, Lauren? Okay. Also, just as to say, like craft and fine arts I mean if we're gonna categorize them, them and separate them are coming together there's a you know you've you've seen that I'm sure too and like there are a lot of artists now that are doing embroidery or doing other skills quilt making like you say that have been sort of put into the craft category or supposed lesser than category which is not true you know um, but it's interesting to see how people are weaving these things back into their culture and our fine art culture and getting them the praise that they deserve, yeah. you know? And now I forgot the question. <laughs> I have so many thoughts when we're talking. <laughs> what, inspires oh, what inspires me? Okay, I love this question because it feels so big and yet so particular. So I am inspired by everything all the time. Like I'm constantly pulling things out of the ether to thoughts when I look around I'm you know pulling colors out of the paintings around me like wow I'm really in like look at these purples and shades I need to record these somehow so when I'm in this that blank new canvas stage metaphorically I can have something to draw from um I I would say my work primarily is inspired by biological elements I got my start with the style of work I'm doing now that I've been doing for, I guess, five years or something. I'm not, I don't even remember anymore when I started this, but was, I think I was really mostly interested in these sort of cellular photographs I was seeing online. Um, Pinterest was a big thing for me at the time, and I know it kind of comes and goes, goes in my life now, but at the time it was really, like, I was just on Pinterest all the time. But really fascinated by biological or 
biology in its molecular form and how you see those same shapes on a larger scale. And I started sort of drawing those shapes and playing with those shapes until they turned into something that felt like it was mine. I also have always been really fascinated by the human body and even, even maybe even in elementary school, definitely in middle school and high school, I was painting nude figures where everyone else was painting much different things, fully clothed people. I was the one looking at Renaissance paintings and stuff and like, you know, really interested in the reclining female nude and the folds of the body and the way the skin sort of was almost edible looking in certain paintings. Um, and, hmm, and so that's informed my work somehow. I'm interested in the abstraction of that now, though. I'm interested in some sort of classical and abstracted conversion, intersection of the body. And I don't really know what that means, honestly. As I'm saying it, it makes sense. But I guess I guess I'm interested right now in seeing how I can change the human figure to express what I'm feeling inside, use it as a tool. Um, and that inspires me. How can I alter it to express something new and different? Um, what do I see when I look at a human? When I see general, specifically, I'm working with female figures mostly right now. Um, so what do I see when I look at a female figure and how, what parts of that beautiful figure do I want to take into my work and what does that say what do I want to say with that what is speaking through me when I see those things what I've realized being alive is that <laughs> we don't all see the same way and we don't all see the same things so part of what I remind myself in my low artist self-confidence moments is trust and value the way that you see and find a way to capture that and really support that vision in your work. Like that is your artistic truth, is the way that you see. And I try to let that be the guiding force of my inspiration as much as possible. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so I'm pretty sure it was Picasso that said, all art is a self-portrait. So when you're doing these female figures, are they all you? Or are they the other? And it almost, and this reminds me of dream work and dream symbology, you know, in some dream analysis, they're the other person, if you encounter them in a dream, that's, that is actually reflective that's part of yourself and mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the way you, you know what I'm talking about. I do, I do. <laughs> okay, I we'll do. let you rift on that. Yeah, I think it might have been Jungian th theory, but I don't a hundred percent. Yeah, maybe it is. I need to like now look back in my papers because it's been so long. Yeah. There were so many different. Yeah, I do. I remember. I remember at the beginning of my drawing, my dream drawing. Um, I guess around two thousand, the beginning of two thousand nine or mid two thousand nine. I guess when I was in Southern California, I was living there, and I was living in a house that had rats in it. 
and it wasn't like they were running around all over the place, but we could tell that there were. It had, you know, it was a house that um, didn't have a whole lot of TLC, but you know, you know, needed a lot of TLC rather. And um, I was living there with a bunch of guys, <laughs> and so not to be judgmental, but they were young guys, and I was young, and no one was really taking care of the place. So. Anyway, I started the the rats started sort of infiltrating into my dreams, and I started working with like <laughs> drawing a lot of rat portraits, and <laughs> which rats still creep me out. And I think that's when I started thinking about this identity, like this: if if all of the figures in my dream are me, then what does it mean to be a rat? What does it mean to be the person at my door, about to open it and yell something at me? What does it mean? to be all of these people. And I started sort of revolving my consciousness slowly into these different perspectives in my dream. In this particular dream, I worked a lot with this very one, this one dream. <laughs> um, and it was interesting because I did a lot of writing with that too. If I am this, pic this person, what is my perspective from this person? And I think, I think that really comes into my work too. I think that, um, I can say that there are multiple perspectives and personalities of me in my work. I think there's always a layer of me and not me. Um, there's sometimes it's a me and then it becomes not me when I, it becomes part of the, the public. <laughs> or because I've grown past this place. Or because, I don't know, because I've forgotten it maybe because I don't need it anymore, maybe. Who knows? I think all of those things can be true. Um, let's see. I feel like I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> what else? <laughs> I feel like I answered it. <laughs> you did, beautiful. Okay. Sometimes I'm just, I'm like, oh, that train looks nice. Let me get on this other train really fast. <laughs> Too funny. Okay. What is the main message behind your artwork? Mm. If that's different than what inspires you. I'm sure they're related. They're definitely related. And maybe even sometimes the same. <laughs> what in what um what is my work about? It's it shifts. Somewhat recently, I had to do some writing for fellowship and grant proposals. And while I didn't get them, it really forced me to look at my work, not in a new way necessarily, but give it more energy. And even talk to some people in my community about their perspective on my art. And I don't, I wouldn't do that normally with just anyone. I, it needs to be someone that really, that understands that I'm not coming for praise, but rather a discussion about their honest feedback and their honest reception and perspective of my work. Um, just to get a new, a, a new lens, because I think sometimes as artists, we can sort of see our work in a certain light and get stuck in that way. Yeah. Right. And so I think having some fresh words and a fresh view of your own work is really helpful. 
Um, so I did that and I did a lot of writing and it was really hard. And now I'm so happy that I did it. Um, I realized after speaking to my friends, to really looking at my work with a new eye, that my work was about an identity that is not the identity that we see when we look at each other. It's about an identity that we feel, that we can't, that I think we're all trying to show to the world because we feel it. And yet it's a really challenging thing to show that self, that person or non-person, that energy to the world. I think we try to do it through our clothing and the people we hang out with and our interests. And I think the music we listen to, it's all, it's all part of our personality and that's in our self-expression. But underneath, underneath this sort of personhood, who are we really as beings? And I feel this question very physically, very like in my body, my muscles will sort of contract when I, and with people. I'll sort of, I'm very gestural with my hands, and I find myself sort of very expressive and physical, and I can look, I I can get a feeling, and I feel it muscularly. It's very hard to describe, actually. (laughs) You're doing well. (laughs) I don't even know the words. And those physical sensations become colors and they become shapes and they become and then they become pictures sometimes I get a little more picture and sometimes I get a little less picture (laughs) and that's how I start making I sometimes do sketches of my work from those pictures and colors and shapes I get other times I just start I'll get like okay I'm working with blues I want to work on paper Um, I'm going to start with watercolor and I just start putting paper or I just start putting paint or water down, um, whatever it is that I feel drawn to use. So going back to the meaning, I really, I'm really interested now in the essence of our humanity, why we're here. And there's such, the reason I think I like it is because it's such a big elusive sort of topic and there's no right and wrong answer and it's different for everyone yet there are colors and feelings and tensions that are true for so many of us and that's what we that's what we need to connect on so how do we find these identities subconscious identities that connect us nowadays with so much political I mean there's always horrible things going on There are so many wounds in us that keep us from connecting with each other and keep us hating each other and cause us to have enemies and do bad things to people. But I believe that when we can find these common truths about what's below the surface, that's where that's where we find this common ground and so in some way I'm like making these crests and these banners because I think that if I put this out into the world it's like a beacon for people to see and resonate and come say yes I feel that and I do have people coming to me and saying I don't know what's going on here but like I love it (laughs) 
and then we chat and and we connect in a deeper way than had we just said hello at a coffee shop or had we just been to I don't know not to just anything but been to a book club together or something like it's almost a deeper let's get past the you know hello what do you do for a living sort of bullshit banter (laughs) and move to something deeper through a visual means it's a visual cue right okay okay. yeah so I'm loving what you're saying and I struggle with there's the layer of our identity, as you were saying, that is, it's visual, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is. it's, a, but it can be a facade. And I don't feel any different today than I did 20 years ago inside. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's the same energy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's one of those lovely challenges of our artwork when we're trying to express these things visually that aren't even they aren't visual and it's it's hard to put into words it's hard to describe those feelings but gosh darn it we're going to try to express yeah, we are. <laughs> we're going to try <laughs> it's our job <laughs> yeah and I, I think it's lovely too what you said about you can get connections to people through the visual artwork that you can't get in other ways and even after someone has passed away then we can look at an artist's work and then be still communicating with them yes on some level yes absolutely yeah i think that that communication that what you're talking about this last thing about getting a piece of them it's about our stories being interconnected Of course, I'm not going to remember who this person was I was just listening to on On Being with Krista Tippett, even though it's my favorite podcast, (laughs) but this this wonderful woman who's a doctor and a storyteller and worked with cancer patients for a long time and helped them work through their stories and then helped doctors learn how to be with patients who are going through giant life changes like terminal illness. And she was talking about these stories and how when a story that her grandfather told um, affects her and then she tells someone and they tell their son and then that son has a bit of her grandfather wrapped up in their in his life, you know, in some small way, in some big way, depending on sort of what they take from it. Um, I don't know. I feel like it connected. <laughs> The train is stopped at the station. That's all there is. <laughs> we can still get on board we for the on next board. for the next one. Yeah, it's fine. It's <laughs> all right. So, what would you say to your younger artist mm. self? Mm. This is a fun one to think about. Also, because I was just. Um, I just did a craft show, the uh, Handicraft Exchange at the Harrison this past weekend. And this little girl named Lucy came up to me. um, And she was so bright, like just an excited human being. And I loved it. And she was asking me, she couldn't be more than like, she could be a small 12. I don't know. I'm not good at gauging girls' ages since I have a son. And for some reason, they just... 
I don't know. Let's say let's say ten. Let's say ten to twelve. Um, so she came up and she loved my work and then she took my card and she was like, What kind of advice would you give a young artist like me? <laughs> because I think I'd like to how did she phrase it? She was like, I'd like to try to be an artist. I think I'd try to like like to try to be an artist and I said, Well, the first thing is stop trying and just do it. Don't kind of do it. You got to decide it's what you want and you go for it. Now, what does go for it mean? There's that. (laughs) First of all, you go for it and then and decide you're not going to kind of do it. You're going to, it's something you love. It's who you are. You do it. And then it's baby steps towards the vision, the ever evolving vision of you as a creative being, as an artist. Um, I've also been teaching some middle school kids lately art and it's been reminding me a lot about how I was at that age and younger which is sort of a is definitely a perfectionist and have a lot of fear about putting marks on the paper about messing up and being scared about if I make a mistake then what you know and I see that it it still freezes me now, but like not in the same intense way that it did when I was a kid and young, even early 20s, I'd say. Um, so now I tell people and what I would tell myself is you have to keep making. You don't need to worry about perfection. The practice makes perfection. There's all kinds of cool memes. <laughs> And Instagram posts about, what is it, like progress, not perfection. And, you know, there are no mistakes and all of these things. There's a lot of truth in that. Because some of my favorite work has come out of pieces I hated. Absolutely hated. I didn't want to look at it. I wanted to tear the paper up. Usually I set it aside. Give it some time and space and come back to it. And I changed my mind a little bit because usually why we think it's something is a mistake is because we have an expectation of the way it's supposed to look. And when we can decide to change the way we're looking at it, then new opportunities present themselves. How do I fix this drip in my painting that cannot be erased? Well, there are lots of options. Here we go with choices again. There's a continuous amount of choices, but... Now where do we go at this crossroads, right? We can change the whole look of it. We can put more layers. We can add a new medium. We can add more paper on top. We could sew on it. I mean, like, the inf- it's infinite, you know, and without getting too specific, you know, because it is, it's really about the doing and the practice. The other thing I like to say a lot to people, <laughs> I feel like I've been saying a lot of things, like, this. I'm this, like, advice machine recently. <laughs> I don't like to go on, like it to go on too long. Like a simple line of wisdom here, but I've been coming. People have been asking me what I do a lot. I think because I've moved recently, and so I'm sort of reacquainting myself with people or meeting lots of new people. And no matter how I'm making most of my money, I am an artist. So I say, I'm an artist. And the first thing I usually get in response is, "Oh my gosh," something like. I'm not creative at all. I can draw as a stick person. (laughs) I can't even draw a stick person. It's some version of that. And I say, you know, being an artist isn't about, about that. You know, it's about, one, I say it's not about that. It's about the way that you look at the world. 
And then two, I usually say it's a practice. Art is a practice like math, like reading, like writing. It's a practice like learning to run. I taught myself running form a few years ago and I was like, everybody knows how to run, right? No, I did not know how to run until I realized there was a proper way for your body to function, (laughs) you know, and, um, it's a skill and it's a practice. It's something like learning a new language. It is a new language. So have I said practice enough? (laughs) It's a practice. (laughs) Uh, What I was going to add was something about the, the responses we get when people say, Oh, that's great. You're an artist, but I could never do that. They're so interesting and they're so telling. I feel that it's, it's a crazy reflection of our culture that people have an idea of of what it means, but they haven't even tried it, you they know? Don't even, they don't know what it means, but they're sure they but can't do it. They're sure they can't do it because mm-hmm. there's so many messages mm-hmm. in our, <laughs> the big overall culture that we get from TV and media and each other that says there's this teeny little portion of the population that are artists Mm -hmm. and they kind of had to be born that way you know just like they came right out of the womb (laughs) oh yes with a paintbrush in hand and everything they did is fabulous um right off the bat and there were never any mistakes it was never a a challenge to get there and um and I wish I'd hear from people more oh that's great you're an artist it's not something that I want to do but good for you you like think there's always this sense of i would but i can't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that i think is sad. sad and i have to think too that if they did want to do it then they would be trying to do it and they would go through those hurdles if it was what they really want but there's something else here about how we say to ourselves we want this or that or the other but then we don't actually mm-hmm. and the proof is that we haven't done the work to get to the so I don't run for example because right. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> right but if I did want to then this is what I need to do to make it happen right and I I wish just everybody would feel more empowered to do whatever it is that they want right right, right. whatever yeah yeah yeah, I can definitely speak to that. Um, I th- I mean, I think what's happening here when we're getting that response too is that at some point in, in their life, they have been told that they're not good at it mm-hmm. or their skills stopped developing and they told themselves they weren't good at it okay. and or grow up and get a job. Or something along those lines where now is the time to stop doing these childish things and to now focus on mature adult things. The problem with that is that they're not, these, they're not disconnected. They are connected items. To be a fully functioning human, we need to express ourselves. We need to know ourselves creati- creatively. Creatively. I was like, <laughs> how can I make that sound funny? Um, we need to know ourselves creatively and it being creative and be having the opportunity to express ourselves through drawing through writing through reading poetry through whatever it might be that interests us that teaches us a lot about ourselves 
about how we interact with the world and other people and it how about we how we think and feel and these are way more important in my mind than math skills and I love I mean I think math is great it's important I wish I knew more about geometry honestly but but they're not they have to be taught and supported and encouraged together otherwise we we have disconnected humans um I think the other element is just because I'm creative doesn't mean I have to be an artist, you know? I may study math. I don't know why I'm going to the math today, but I may get to a certain level of math and just enjoy doing some sort of math games or puzzles of some sort, but that doesn't mean I'm a mathematician. It doesn't mean I'm going to go to some prestigious college. There's a difference. So appreciating and understanding yourself as a creative person doesn't mean see where I'm going with this that the artist component the identity the profession has to be there but that doesn't mean if you're not an artist doesn't mean you're not creative and not artistic yeah they're not mutually exclusive yeah yeah yeah. I feel like I didn't explain that well but no no, you did and there's a quote like I've probably said this on the podcast before because it's one of my favorite quotes ever and it's by Carita Kent creativity belongs to the artist in each of us to create means to relate the root meaning of the word art is to fit together and we all do this every day not all of us are painters but we are all artists each time we fit things together we are creating whether it is to make a loaf of bread, a child, or a day. Mm. So her point being that being a creative person is not about the label of, am I an artiste? Mm -hmm. Everyone is creative in different ways. We almost have to be to survive. Mm -hmm. You absolutely have to be to survive. And to be happy. Did you want to add one? Sure. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't think I can even express this feeling strong enough. Like, it's so important that the words that I use to describe it don't feel like enough. You know, I think her quote is so beautiful and so right. And I've, I've heard so many different quotes from people or words that sort of capture that. Um, in... Audre Lorde, um, her writing, poetry is not a luxury. Just in the title, the writing is beautiful in and of itself, but the title is really the biggest reminder for me of although having my art on your wall may be a luxury price-wise, creating or having connected visuals of space to create to know yourself as a creative person in some capacity, that is not a luxury. This is necessary to being a whole society and a whole person. Um, it feels, I guess there's a heart, there's a, there's a disconnect here because we do sort of have this idea of art as a luxury and that disconnect needs to be bridged somehow. I, th- I think that's why I love so many um, artist communities in Indianapolis that have been blossoming and growing and being supported by the communities. 
art that's going into schools and schools going to art in different capacities. It's necessary, the exposure. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I want to write a song and <laughs> write a poem about it. <laughs> Last question. What is your favorite art book or personal art story? Hmm. I can't think of a specific art book. As I said that, a picture of an art book came into my head. That's funny. Um, <laughs> I love how that works. Say no and it happens. Um, okay, so I guess the most influential art book was probably... Um, there's a Diane Arbus who is a was a photographer of street life basically photographed people um, in her environment in New York and has this beautiful book of black and white photography of very strange and very American people <laughs> straight I mean and I think she captures their strangeness and in the strangeness their beauty really their identities and their uniqueness um and I think that's what really captured me when I saw this book. I, I came across this book because my mom owned it. And it was probably just laying around the house. And I like to treasure hunt now and always. <laughs> when I was a kid, it was about looking through my parents' cabinets and seeing what sort of books and things I could find um, hidden in nooks and crannies. And and I remember coming into this book, neither of them, they didn't have a lot of art books. This was just one she happened to have, and it pretty much became mine as soon as I found it. <laughs> I still have it, and all the, you know, the corners are messed up and whatever, but I just used to flip through it over and over again and really look at the people and imagine their lives and imagine their day up until and up until she captured them in the photograph and that's that's really what get got me going um i guess incorporating people in a certain way in in my art too or like led me into photography led me into shooting people and photographing and people and wanting to really capture something about them um so that was definitely the most influential book my most influential story You know, at IU, I had the opportunity to work with um, a friend. Well, he was one of my best friend's older brothers. One of my best friend in high school. Her older brother was a teacher at IU for a little while. And I got to be in one of his classes and help him with his uh, master's thesis and master's project. Uh, Stuart Hyatt is his name and he lives in Indianapolis now and has been for a long time and creates these beautiful projects. Um, he's been capturing local sounds in different areas and creating layers of sound and images and environments based on place um, just to sort of sum it up in a few words. Um, but I got to being a part of his his work his graduate work was so inspiring. Well, just being his student and then being part of his project was really inspiring because 
he consistently reminded me to change my perspective and to open my perspective and to look at things in a different way. And I don't know that he knows he had an influence on me in this way or not, or if he knew he was so consistent with that sort of message. Um, but I got to help him design. I designed and made costumes for part of the show and um, participated in it and got to learn lots of cool skills and everything. But it was really just being around him and seeing not just a, he took this small idea and expanded on it and expanded on it and grew it into this full on experience for people to come in and be immersed in this new world. And to see that from all these stages was really inspiring to me. And so even now, and I'm about to say, even though I'm just doing two dimensional art, (laughs) which makes me laugh, but um, I still think about what kind of experience I'm creating for the person and the people looking at my work. And I think that that's, I think that's another reason why I haven't started to make work just on a certain surface, just with certain material or materials. I think it's because more than just making art, I'm wanting to create a visual and living experience, even if just in a two-dimensional gallery or shop sort of way. Um, What I mean by this is I make pieces that are on wood, that are on fabric, that are on paper sewn into fabric, that are on all of these things put together. And in my mind, they're not separate series. They're not separate... They're not separate uh, skills. They, they're all necessary for one another. Um, when I think about creating a show, I think about things in threes. I think about what is the center image and what will radiate from it on either side. And that's how I tend to hang my shows is one larger piece or one central image with these various perspectives or pieces or support items on either side. Does that make sense? Okay. (laughs) And so to me, it's about the experience. So when I'm envisioning future shows, I'm thinking, okay, when this, what is the space I'll be hanging in? What entrance will they be coming into? What will they see first? Um, How will these two pieces being across from each other make a story? What if I put this here and how am I arranging it? So it's a little bit of a storytelling. Um, And I think a lot of that came from witnessing Stuart's project making and his you know his path a little bit that I've seen of it so that's awesome you should tell him I know I should I don't know if I I don't think I have have (laughs) (laughs) awesome well wonderful thank you Lauren for coming on the show are there any final thoughts you have for us before we say goodbye hmm I guess my final thought is, if you're listening to this, I feel like I'm on the radio in 1940s right now, (laughs) all of those blessed souls (laughs) listening to the station on this cold evening. No, um, I think that if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking or feeling, yes, I want to make something. Yes, I'm inspired by this. How can I look at my life differently? 
how can I live my day differently, then I guess I would set a challenge. What are three things you can do differently this week? If you're feeling it, like, what is, how can you bring this into your life? Right. How can you shake it up so that there's a change and the change you want to see? Yeah. Yeah. It's just that. It's just that. I think it's just that if you're feeling inspired by or feeling even just pensive about what we've been talking about today, then I'd encourage you to spend some time sort of thinking about how what we've been talking about affects you and your life and and what changes you might be able to make to get that much closer to feeling more whole and that much more happy because that's what it is for me every day thank you so much you're welcome